Well, good morning. Welcome back to week two in our series of What is a Worship? Uh, Today's sermon is titled True Worship. And last week we talked about the fact that we are always worshiping. We also talked about the fact that what we love most determines what we will worship most. And I gave a few definitions of what worship is. I'm going to give one more today. Theologian John Frame says this. He says, worship is the work of acknowledging the greatness of our covenant Lord. And John also said this about worship. He said, in scripture, there are two groups of Hebrew and Greek terms, and they are translated worship. The first group refers to labor or service. In the context of worship, these terms refer to primarily the service of God carried out by the priests in the tabernacle and in the temple in the Old Testament period. He says the second group are terms literally meaning bowing or bending one's knee, paying homage or honoring the worth of someone else. The English term worship comes from the word worth, And this has the same connotation. So looking at frames two groups, we see that the first group is an active. They're active words. They're something that we do. It's a verb. We labor, we serve. In worship, we are not passive. We are participators. And from the second group, we learn that worship is honoring somebody that's superior to ourselves. The goal of worship, therefore, is to please not ourselves, but to please someone else through our worship. Worship is both adoration and action. Loving God and loving others. As followers of Christ, we direct our worship towards Jesus Christ. To praise God is to praise Jesus. Recognizing that Jesus is completely superior to us in every way. Jesus is the ultimate object of our praise. When we worship, we worship to express affection, joy, and even sadness. We confess our sins, we make requests, we give thanks, we listen to scripture's commands and its promises, and its exhortations. We identify with Jesus through his death and burial and resurrection in baptism. And we commune with Jesus while eating and drinking the Lord's Supper. So as I said, today's sermon is titled, True Worship. But the question is, how do we know what true worship is? The word that I struggle with is true. Today, when we look around, seems to be no idea what true is. Everybody has, as they say, their own truth. It's exhausting, really, to ask the question, is this true anymore? I can't read an article without wondering whether or not the facts that I'm reading are true. There's so many false narratives that even when being presented with something that seems true, at least I do, I question it. I'm unsure as to whether or not it indeed is true or not. 
But there is one thing that I know that is true. The word of God. I can't trust anything out there, but I can trust this. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Timothy. He wrote to Timothy. He wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 17. Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This book that we read is written by the Spirit of God through faithful men. It is the only standard of truth that we have in this world. Not only that, but Jesus himself said that he himself was truth. Look at John 14, 6. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the truth. He also declared that the word of God is truth. When he was praying to the Father for his followers in John chapter 17, verse 17, he said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what is true worship? True worship is about God. We were created to worship. Last week we saw in Exodus that God commands us to worship him alone. So each day we should wake up and prepare our hearts for daily acts of worship. And let's remind ourselves that it's not about us, that it's about him. True worship is about focusing on Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, Paul says this. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead. That is, in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is, Jesus is, the image of God. He's the creator, the sustainer, the reconciler of all creation. True worship is based in the word of God. Everything was created by God's word. Remember in Genesis, God said, let there be light, spoke it, and boom, there it was. Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power, it says in Hebrews 1.3. God wants his people to worship him by fully being aware of their sin and guilt. And while being aware of it, God wants his people to be aware of what he has done to free them from that guilt and the power of sin. Jesus is worthy of our praise because he died to free us from our sins. 
Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Jesus is the Word. John chapter 1 starts and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus gives us salvation by the power of the gospel, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says. So what would Jesus say if we asked him what true worship was or is? The good news is he did tell us, and that's what we're going to look at today. So go ahead and take out your Bibles and your note sheets, and let's look at our text from today. We're going to be in John chapter 4, and let's read chapter verses 1 through 30, and then we'll pray. We're going to be focusing on 19 through 26, but I want to read this whole section. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is very deep. Where... Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well to drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everybody who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. She said, Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one that you were, that you have is, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place that, where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. 
And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, you and you alone are the only standard of truth. You are the only thing that we can truly trust in this world, Lord. And we praise you for who you are and what you've done. And, and we just ask that by your spirit, you would show us what it means to be worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. Lord, may we be true worshipers. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay. So, Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Galilee through Samaria, which is not something Jews did. They don't travel through Samaria, but, of course, Jesus does things differently. We see here that he's tired, that Jesus decides to rest at Jacob's well in Sychar. His disciples are off getting food, as it said, and Jesus is resting, and a woman from Samaria comes to get water. This isn't the normal time for women to come, but she has a reason for being there at this hour. She didn't want to be seen by anybody else. And this conversation gets striked up, and she has no idea what she's in for. Jesus asks her for a drink, and this catches the woman completely off guard. Jews would never talk to Samaritans, let alone a male Jew talk to a female Samaritan. What is Jesus doing? Can you imagine what people are going to say? If they see him talking to her, the circles that are going to, or the stories that are going to circle, he's never going to live this down. How can he risk being seen with a Samaritan? How is he going to clear his name? Isn't he worried what everybody's going to think? Nope. This is what Jesus is here for. This is exactly the kind of person that he has come to save. Look at verse 10 again. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She has no clue what he's talking about. It's a deep well. He doesn't have a bucket. How's he going to give her living water? Is there another well nearby? And was this well built by somebody greater than Jacob? Jesus answers this in verse 13 and 14. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of the water, of this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She's still lost. No idea what he's talking about. But she wants this water. I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to climb out here every single day to get water. I'm in. And Jesus says, okay, go call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's right. You've had five. And the guy that you're currently living with is not your husband. So this is where I want us to focus our attention. In the text, the conversation here shifts from water to worship. Point number one in your outline. True worship 
is not about you and me. True worship is not about you and me. True worship is about a relationship with God. Verse 19, the woman says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This has always made me laugh. Jesus has just dropped this massive bomb on her. All of her secret sins, everything that she wants to keep hidden, right out in the open. Most of our worst fears, everybody that's within earshot has just heard everything that I've ever done. Jesus was a Jew. He didn't live in Samaria. He couldn't possibly have known all of this unless he was a prophet. An interesting point here, the Samaritans only had the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't believe that the rest of the Old Testament, after the first five books, were from God. So because of this, they had a very limited understanding of the coming Savior. And so they thought that the Savior would be like Moses, a prophet. So when she says, I perceive that you are a prophet, she's sort of making a profession of faith here. So this is why it shifts from water to worship. Some think she was nervous and trying to get the spotlight off of herself onto something else. But either way, Jesus is totally ready to talk about worship. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, or no, she says, our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. I think it's possible that she in this moment is convicted by her sin and it's possible that she's wanting to get right with God but she knows that in order to do that a sacrifice must be made but where is she to offer the sacrifice is it to be on the mountain where the Samaritans worshipped or is it to be in Jerusalem where the Jews say is the place and in verse 21 and 22 Jesus answers Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. True worship is not about us. It's not about where we do it. Everything has changed now that Jesus has arrived. Who's right, the Jews or the Samaritans? Do we worship on the mountain? And Jesus says, no, neither. He dismisses both arguments. Instead, Jesus says, there is coming a day when the place of worship will be irrelevant. There is coming a day when the religious systems in place will not matter. True worship is not about us. God is worthy to be praised no matter where we are. Jesus also makes a very important statement. Look at verse 22 again. He says, you will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus comes down on the Samaritans pretty strong here. True worship can only happen if we have a right understanding of who God is. You worship what you do not know. Again, referring to the fact that they only have the first five books. But the Jews have it all. You can't worship a God that you don't know. Their knowledge of the true and living God was very limited, and so their worship of God, unfortunately, was unacceptable. 
Pastor Kent Hughes says this about worship. He says that every failure in worship or in doctrine or practice can be traced back to a wrong thought about God. True worship isn't about what we think about God. We can only worship God through his self-revelation to us. He reveals himself to us through his written word. In verse 22 here, Jesus identifies as a Jew. He declares that the, that the worship of Jews is based on a true knowledge of God. That it, This doesn't mean that all Jews are, are right with God. But what it does mean is that God has chosen to reveal himself through the Jews. It has always been part of God's plan of redemption that it would unfold through the history of the Jews. It has always been God's plan that the Savior would come from the Jews. And God reveals himself to us through his written word, but he also reveals himself through the living word. God reveals himself through Jesus Christ. There are only two places, interestingly, in the Gospels where Jesus uses this word salvation. Here and in Luke 19, verses 9 through 10. In speaking with Zacchaeus, Jesus says this. He says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus is saying, I am coming to this house. He is saying, salvation is here. He is saying, I am here. It's from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. I am a Jew. Jesus is pointing out that he is the savior of the world and that he brings salvation. Point number two, true worship is about God. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus tells us that true worship is about God. Look at 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The hour is coming and is now here. Which is it? Is is it coming or is it here? It's here and it's not yet here all at the same time. Jesus says that both of these realities are true. The hour is coming. The crucifixion is coming. The resurrection is coming. The ascension of Jesus into heaven is coming. But it is also here right now because Jesus is standing right there in front of her. His work on the cross will be the hour when Jesus changes everything. In him, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And it says that the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Verse 24. Again, it says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. Another reason why the time is not yet is that the Holy Spirit has not been poured out yet. The Holy Spirit has not come. And we cannot worship in spirit unless the Holy Spirit resides in us. We cannot respond to God in true worship if we do not know him. If we do not know him, we cannot have 
salvation. And we cannot have the Holy Spirit. To truly worship God, we must understand who he is and what he has done. The only place that he has fully revealed himself is in the Bible. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. True worship is an expression of praise from the depths of our hearts towards God and is understood through his word. If we do not have the truth of the Bible, we do not know God and we cannot truly be worshiping him. And that's the point that he's making to her. We need the spirit and we need to know God through his word. The spirit actually reveals this word to us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. True worship is both spirit and in truth. It's in spirit in our hearts and it's in truth in our minds. This is why I always say that the best way to get knowledge from your head to your heart is through prayer and meditation. Pray through the text that you're reading in your Bible and then meditate and pray on some portion of that for the rest of your day. In spirit and truth. It's not one or the other. They're linked. You can't worship with just one or the other. It's both. And in verse 25, the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. And he will tell us all things. Then Jesus blesses her in such a mighty way. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be standing there to say that the Messiah is coming and then to have him look at her and say, I who speak am he. I am the Messiah. I am salvation. I am the creator, the sustainer. I am the light of the world. I am the word. I am the truth the way, and the life. I am. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed himself to this woman. He taught her and us how to worship in spirit and truth. Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One day we will stand with him in front of Jesus the way that this woman stood in front of Jesus at the well. What a glorious day that will be. Until then, let's seek God in his word. Let's seek him in prayer. Let's seek to worship him in truth and spirit. Let's worship him as true worships. True worshipers worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the gift of your son. Lord, you and you alone are worthy of our worship. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you that he reveals to us who you are in your word. May we seek to worship you as the kind of worshipers you are seeking those who worship in spirit and truth. And we ask that you would guide us every day in our worship of you and that it would be pleasing and acceptable worship. 
May you be glorified in all that we do, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.